Do you know what today is? Indy 500. That is disappointing. I mean, it is the Indy 500, but it's our last week studying the book of James. Yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Right. Yeah, there's some race happening down at Speedway, but the real party this morning is in here. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. The end of our series in James. Uh, They call it the greatest spectacle in racing down at the track, but they get nothing on us. Uh, If you're new to ZPC, my name is John Grabiel. I am the... uh, Let me think about this for a second. I am the... I'm currently the director of student ministries. Uh, very soon to be the associate director of worship, uh, formerly, before all that, director of worship. So if you come up asking me what I do here at ZPC, I don't know that I often have the answer to that. So your guess is as good as mine. Uh, but this morning I know this. I am here, we are here, and we're going to close out uh, the letter of James. Uh, we started looking at James right after Easter, and so for the past eight weeks we've been looking at his letter. And today we're going to close out chapter 5. The text this morning is going to be James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. So if you have your Bible or the app on your phone, you can follow along there, or the text will be on the screen as well. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 20. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And with that, we finish the letter of James. And he tells us to be patient. He tells us to be patient like a farmer. He tells us to be patient like Job. And if I may, I might add to that list to be patient like a Cubs fan prior to the year 2016. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I actually enjoy watching the Cubs. Did you know that? Um, And in 2016, they won the World Series. Did you guys know that? Well, they did. Um, Being a Cubs fan 
pre-2016 required a special kind of patience. I would say it required a patience in suffering, if you will. Because, you see, the Cubs have rarely been good over the last hundred years. In fact, they've been pretty awful. And so prior to 2016, you might watch a Cubs game and you'd watch them. You'd almost always lose. You'd watch them, they'd lose. You'd watch them, they'd lose really bad. It was like watching a little league team in lots of ways. And so all the while, Cubs fans prior to 2016 waited patiently. And they kept hoping that maybe one year it might be different. And sure enough, all the patience and all the suffering paid off in 2016. And they won the World Series after 108 years. That's some kind of patience. While we're talking about patience... Somebody mentioned that today is race day. It is race day. Today is the Indianapolis 500. I've attended numerous Indianapolis 500s, and if there is one thing you need to take with you to the track, it's patience. You have to have patience to park. You have to have patience to wait in all the lines that you have to wait in. You have to have patience, I'm sorry, to watch the race. It's long, and if there's a rain delay, oh my goodness. You're there all day. You have to have patience to use the restroom. You have to have patience to leave the track after you've baked out in the sun for five hours. Then you have to get in a car and just sit and wait to get out of the track. Now, to be completely transparent, the 500 to me is completely exhausting. I'm from Kentucky. I don't know if you know this, but we have a little race in Kentucky called the Kentucky Derby. It's known as the most exciting two minutes in sports. Two minutes. That's how you do a race, people. While we're talking about patience, does anybody here like fast food? See, a lot of people, this is the way it worked the first hour too. Anybody here like Chick-fil-A? See, you got Chick-fil-A. Some of you guys haven't heard a word I said until just now because I said Chick-fil-A. And some of you won't hear anything from here on out because all you're going to be thinking about is Chick-fil-A and eating Chick-fil-A. Well, newsflash, it's Sunday. You can't eat it anyway. But Monday through Saturday, it doesn't matter what time you go to Chick-fil-A, you're going to have to get in line with about 400 other cars to get food. Chick-fil-A is not fast food. It requires patience. Now, in case you haven't gathered, um, I'm not always the most patient person. This past week, I found myself getting frustrated with this. I, I got frustrated with my phone. Because I was searching something on my phone, and it was taking a little bit too long for my liking. It took forever and forever for this page to load. And by forever, I mean about probably six or seven seconds. And even that might be longer than what it actually felt like. It felt like an eternity. I was looking for the best Mexican place around where I was. And it was taking too stinking long. And you know what? I thought about that. I thought about that for a second. My phone is connecting to the internet to try to get information from me. The internet is like millions and millions of computers and tablets and phones and devices communicating with each other globally. And I was worried about it because it took a few seconds. What's even more crazy to me is that I grew up in the infant stages of the internet. Like the infant consumer stage of the internet. And so my family, uh, they, we got our first computer at circa 1995. We got our first computer in the house. I was in a sophomore in high school, and I thought, I'm going to find out what this internet thing is all about. Because occasionally in the mail, we would get these CDs from a place called AOL. You guys remember that? 
AOL would send you CDs, and that CD was somehow, I have no idea, it was somehow it was the key to the internet. And you could load this CD on your computer, which even that was a task, because you had to hit it, and this tray would come out, and you weren't sure what was going to happen. You dropped it in, you hit, you know, hit it, and it would go back in. And then all of a sudden, it started making crazy noises, like an airplane was getting ready to take off. And then after all that, you would get this screen. Those are some amazing graphics. You would get this screen, and you would have to put in your screen name. My screen name was something extremely creative. It was John Grabeel, all lowercase, no spaces. John Grabeel. And then you had to select your location. I never understood what that was, but I just I didn't care about it. I just went straight to sign on because I was ready to get on the Internet. And then you would get to this screen. You remember this guy? The AOL guy? He's like this, right? You know why he's like this? He's moving. He's taking us somewhere. Now, with speed, I'm not sure, but he's taking us somewhere. And it might stick like this on the screen for a little bit, but after a little time, all of a sudden, something magical would happen. Listen to this. After 30 seconds of screeching and clicking and chaos, after 30 seconds of the most beautiful cacophony that you could hear at that time, you would get to this screen. And there was people with their fists raised in the air, and they're so excited. Do you know why their fists are in the air? Because those people knew the struggle. They knew the patience that it would require to get onto the internet, and they were thrilled once they got there. Now, this was maybe one of the most beautiful pictures you could come across at that time. Now, if you weren't familiar with the process, the chances of this happening weren't great. They weren't, even guaranteed, they weren't guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination. Oftentimes, as you were loading up, things would stall out, and you're like, I don't know what happened, you have to start it all over again. Or, if you did get on, which was, which was amazing, it was very easy for things to go south, and then you, it would disconnect, and you have to redo it all over again. Now, even when things were up and running, when everything was right with the world and you got onto the internet, you finally got to search for something. You searched for something and the page would just be, a, first it would just be a blank screen. And then all of a sudden you'd get a little bit from the top. Boop. And you're like, it's coming. Boop. You're like, yep, here comes, my page is coming. Boop. Yep. Disconnect. No, I mean, that's kind of the way it happened. It did work occasionally, but not often. Now, here I was this past week getting frustrated with my phone that was taking a few seconds to load a page that I wanted. This is a phone. I was talking about a computer with cords and mouse and keyboard and a CD-ROM that magically appeared in the mail. This is a phone, and I was getting frustrated with it. And in that moment, it hit me. Patience isn't about the waiting. It's about how we wait. I think this is what James is talking about at the end of his letter. He says, be patient for the coming of the Lord. And it's not about the waiting. It's about how we wait. James is telling us how we should be waiting. 
Do we wait with hope and with excitement and with responsibility? Or do we wait with frustration and despair and anxiety? Do we wait like the farmer that's planted his crop and is taking care of it even though he's not seeing results? Or do we plant seeds and then go back the next day and don't see anything and say, ah, forget it? Do we wait like Job with patience in the midst of suffering, patiently sitting among friends and never grumbling or cursing or blaming God? James says to be patient, but he's not telling us to simply wait. He's telling us how we should be waiting. Patience is about hope. It's about excitement. It's about responsibility in the present right now. And I would go a little further and say that how we wait, how we endure, how we suffer is a reflection of what we truly know to be true about Jesus. Our patience is a reflection of what we know to be true about our God. Now, James gives us the example of Job. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, you can kind of summarize it this way. The book opens and it says, Once in the land of us, there was a man named Job. I kind of like that. It's kind of like our stories, right? Once upon a time in the land of Oz. But in this land of us, there was a man named Job. And Job was blameless and he was upright and he would turn away from evil. He was a good guy. And Job had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of family. He had daughters and he had sons. He had camels and oxen. He had sheep and goats. He was known as the greatest man in the east. So that's the way our story is set up. And then we get to take, take, take into this heavenly realm where God is basically holding court. We, we see God and we see angels and we see the evil one or the accuser as he's called. And God says to the accuser, have you considered Job? Which I find fascinating because that means we've dropped into a conversation that has seemingly been going on for some time. And God says to the accuser, have you considered Job? And the accuser says, I have considered Job. I think he loves you because of everything that you've given him. I think he respects you because of all the things that he has. If you take those things away, he'll curse you. He'll leave you. And God says, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's see what happens. And next, of course, what do we find? Job loses everything. He loses his sheep and his goats and his oxen and his camels. He loses his daughters and his sons. And it seems like he's lost everything, almost everything, and we'll get to that in a second. But Old Testament Scripture tells us that in all this, Job did not curse God. He didn't sin, and he didn't say it was God's fault. Now, we're taken back to that heavenly realm. We're taken back to that court scene. And God says again to the accuser, have you considered Job? And the accuser says, I have. God says, hey, you took everything away from him, and he still loves me. And the accuser says, yeah, but if you give him just a little bit more pain and a little bit more suffering, he'll curse you. He'll leave you. God says, okay. And next we see Job sitting in a pile of ashes to help ease the pain. And remember when I said he's lost almost everything? He hasn't lost everything. He still has his wife, which I think the accuser knew what he was doing by leaving her around. Because Job's wife comes to him and says, just give up. Curse God and die. To which Job says, thank you, honey, for your support. <laughs> no. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be his name. 
That's just the first two chapters of Job. There are 42 chapters. So we're going to be in here for just a little bit. The next 36 chapters, this is kind of how it goes. Job is sitting and he's suffering. Three of his friends come and sit with him. And his three friends tell him, Job, you must have done something wrong to deserve what happened to you. And Job says, I didn't do anything. No, you've done something. There's some kind of sin in your life that, that, that has caused all this pain and suffering for you. Job says, no. That goes on for 36 chapters. And Job says, my God gives and my God takes away, but blessed be his name. Job sits in faithfulness, patiently enduring suffering. In the last chapters of Job, we see God show up in the end. And Job, he has more than what he started with in the end. God blesses him more than with what he had. James tells us to be patient. But he's reminding us how we should be waiting. We wait with hope and anticipation, and we wait uh, with responsibility now, here in the present. We wait with a responsibility to rush into broken places and to restore. We have a responsibility in the present, in the now, to rush into dark places and share the light that we've been given. In Acts chapter 2, we find Jesus. And at this point, Jesus has been arrested, beaten, crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead. And as Jesus is about to leave this earthly realm, his disciples begin to ask him questions. They say, Jesus, is now the time? Now you're going to restore this kingdom right now, right? This is what we've been waiting for. You're going to be king and you're going to restore things. And Jesus says to his disciples, it's not for you to know. Now's not the time. and you, It's not for you to know. And Jesus says, what it is time for is for you to be witnesses. To be witnesses here in Jerusalem, to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives them responsibility. He tells them to wait with a purpose. We wait with responsibility to be witnesses. Witnesses of the grace and love and hope and redemption of Jesus Christ. We wait with responsibility to help those who can't help themselves. We wait with responsibility to help the widow. We wait with responsibility to feed the orphan. We wait with responsibility to love and care for our neighbor. Literally care for our neighbor. It, that's our responsibility. We wait with responsibility to care for this creation that we've been given. To bring heaven on earth and to bring about a new kingdom. If you go back just a little bit before Acts in the Gospel of John in John chapter 14, Jesus tells those same disciples... He says to them, if you follow me, if you believe in who I am and what I'm doing, he tells them, you're going to do even greater things than what I've done. He's expecting his disciples, his followers, he's expecting any of us in this room that claim Jesus. He's expecting us to be doing something, to be offering grace and hope and love, and to be restoring and reclaiming and reconciling the brokenness and the darkness in the world. And oftentimes we sit back and what do we say? We say, well, God's coming. He's going to come back. He'll take care of all that for us. He'll take care of all that for us. Now, if there's anything we should be learning from the letter that James gives us, it's that we should be doing and not just talking. And so the question for us this morning is how are we waiting? How are we waiting? Or are we just waiting? Are we investing in this kingdom that God has entrusted to us? 
Are we willing to take risks to bring heaven to earth? To blur the line between the earthly and the heavenly? Are we willing to be brave and not safe? To rush into the darkness in an attempt to bring light? To rush into broken places in an attempt to restore? How are we waiting? Or are we just waiting? Two days ago, Friday morning, we started to hear and see the news reports that an active shooter was in Noblesville West Middle School. We saw the news, and once again, which seems much too often, we hear the terrible, horrible, hideous details. And we're reminded that this isn't the way that things are supposed to be. I think because we're disturbed when we hear those things, it's a reminder that this isn't the way that things are supposed to be. Our God didn't intend this for his creation. He gave us a responsibility to be stewards of this place, and he gave us a responsibility to love each other, not to harm each other. And we turn on the news, and it seems to never stop. We're reminded of brokenness, and we're reminded of pain, and we're reminded of suffering. And I would say this, even as we like to believe that we're safe in our northern Indianapolis suburban life, even here we cannot escape brokenness and pain and suffering. We are to be the ones to rush into dark places and to shed light. We are the ones that are to rush into broken places and to restore. We find that pain and suffering is in Noblesville, it's in Westfield, it's in Carmel, it's in Zionsville, it's in Lebanon. After 1,300 middle school students, they were bused from the middle school to the high school. And I'm sure that they felt a safety in that, being taken out of the place where things were, were going wrong. They were brought into Noblesville High School. They were put into classrooms and into cafeterias to be safe. While those 1,300 students plus all of the high school students were in that school, someone made a threat on social media that there was going to be something else that happened in the high school. So those 1,300 middle school students who went from middle school to high school to be safe sat in those classrooms and sat in that cafeteria and they had to barricade the doors close friend of mine is a teacher at Noblesville High School, and they sent this picture. This is a picture of their classroom. This is not what it's supposed to look like in the classroom where we send our children to school. This is not what God had in mind. We have a responsibility, and hear me, I'm not talking about gun control or whatever political buzz becomes after these, comes after these terrible, horrible events. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the responsibility that we have as Christ followers to love and to care and to restore and to reconcile. I'm talking about our responsibility to rush into dark places, to rush into broken places, and to provide light and restoration. Later on Friday, as I was reading the news and seeing things on social media, I came across a post from a student 
And uh, this post, honestly, says everything that I've been trying to say this morning better than I ever could. The student says this, God, it's easy to sit back and ask you to do something for us. But sometimes maybe you're waiting on us to do something because you've placed us here as servants to create change. Maybe you're waiting on us to do something because you've placed us here as servants to create change. How are we waiting? Or are we just waiting? Let's pray. God, it's easy to sit back and to ask you to do something for us. But that's not what you have in mind. God, remind us of that moment when you told us that we would be your witnesses. Remind us of that moment when you told us that we would do even greater things than you have done. Remind us of that moment when you called us to follow you because it was in those moments that you were reminding us of our responsibility. It was in those moments that you were calling us to be ushers, to be bringers, bringers of a new kingdom, bringers of heaven on earth, kingdom builders, all while we wait for you. And God, my hope and my prayer is that in our patience, in our waiting and doing and hoping and loving, and in our redeeming and reconciling, that we would be an example to the world around us. That we would be an example to a hurried world that seems to love to talk and grumble more than it does to restore and to love. May we be a reflection of you. May we rush into broken places May we rush into darkness, that we might be a reflection of your Son and your Spirit, so that others might know your love and your grace. Amen.